Welcome to the POV Hamilton podcast. Each episode, we're sharing a unique point of view and exploring what makes this city great. Hamilton isn't just a steel city, it's a music city too. And in our thriving arts sector, there are amazing stories of transformation and resilience waiting to be discovered. Here's whose point of view you'll be listening to today. I'm Tim Potasek. Uh, I am the owner of Sonic Onion Records and the director of the Supercrawl Festival and local community advocate. I mean, my background is it's not uncommon, but yes, I'm a life, lifelong Hamiltonian and uh, I grew up Croatian upbringing, uh, Croatian dad, Serbian mom. They were born here, uh, immigrant grandparents. And uh, yeah, sort of always had music surrounding me. My dad is a musician, engineer by trade, lifelong, well now retired, but DeFasco employee as were my grandfather and my other grandfather for part of his career and my aunts and my uncles and everybody, right? So it was like just a big steel, immigrant steel family. But uh, my dad was also a musician and played multiple instruments. So I grew up, you know, like from a very small age having my dad's band rehearsing in the basement of the house and I'd sit in the corner and watch them play. And I would be like in, enamored by the whole thing, right? Like they're just so, uh, it was so fun, you know, uh, acoustic instruments, loud, but acoustic instruments. So like, you know, grew up with these people around me my whole life and music or, or with, uh, around me my whole life. My mother's parents um, owned a bar in the north end of Hamilton called the Picton Tavern and it was a pretty tough place. I had like the Hamilton, Burlington, Dundas upbringing as a kid always in like you know suburban safety. Then I'd come and spend a lot of weekends at my grandparents both sets. Uh, my other grandparents were in the east end um, but uh, the north end I probably spent more time in the north end and so that was pretty tough right like it was I had a fun upbringing with that toughness and that's where like I feel like I blossomed a little bit when I was a little kid as a musician and just uh, as a human because I had these friends in Burlington that were like suburban kids and then I had the friends in the north end who were like tough you know not and not not in a bad way but like dirty tough kids my grandparents with the bar, they would have musicians come in and do residencies. So they would leave their gear there for like a week or two or a month and they'd be the regular weekend band. And the only instrument that didn't have to be turned on was the drum kit. So that's how I got into uh, learning how to play the drums. I taught myself, my grandma would put the PA on in the bar and I'd play along to Beatles tunes and whatever was in the mix, like whatever the, you know, whatever was being listened to at the bar. So there's like Zeppelin and like, you know, rock music basically. So that was my upbringing, learning how to play the drums uh, while my grandma cleaned, you know, the dirty bar basically, you know, like it was pretty gross. I helped her clean too. So like I, I, I learned how to clean urinals of things that shouldn't be in urinals quite young in my life. And that added to the whole music mystique, you know, cause music is a dirty business. So anyway, um, that's kind of like, you know, my, my, when I was really young, my upbringing, and then I joined the Croatian band and was in that for many years, probably about 10, uh, learned a bunch of Croatian instruments and all the, all the time, you know, my grandma bought me a snare drum and a cymbal. So I would learn how to, you know, play rudimentary stuff on a snare drum in my bedroom when I was little. And then I graduated to buying myself a drum kit. And then it just kind of went from there. 
in high school. I played in, you know, played around with a bunch of guys, never did original music, but just like covers and learned how to learned how to play. Um, met a couple people, one really good friend, John Hall, when I was growing up, when I moved to Dundas, who was like an incredible drummer and just all around amazing guy. And he taught me tons, like all this stuff, because he was taking music lessons to learn how to play drums. And I was just teaching myself. And so he kind of, he was like my pseudo teacher. He was teaching me, you know, how to read, uh, look at music properly and see how it reflects uh, to drums. So um, and he gave me a bunch of books and I self-taught myself. And then when I got to university, again, it was just bands playing for parties, um, you know, elevating my my level of playing too. I think, you know, the last couple of years of high school and, and into university. Um, and then, uh, yeah, met some guys, met a bass player that I played in part, a party band with. And he, we both were going away when we both, he graduated from um, OER in London, a recording school. And I was graduating from Western and we said, Hey, when we like, you know, come back in the, in the fall, we'll start a band or something. Cause like, are we going to have jobs? I don't know. I was going traveling. He was also doing the same thing. And that's, that brings me to like kind of the start of my career, to be honest, I got back in September and, uh, Gary, uh, was like, yeah, man, I'm in a band and, uh, we want, we need you as our drummer. Our drummer sucks. So just come and audition for these guys and like, let's, let's, we'll kick them out and you can be the drummer. And I'm like, okay. <laughs> so I did. And that's when I first met Mark and Sandy and uh, yeah, it was an instant kind of click. We all kind of got along. They introduced me to a lot of music that I had not really been involved in. Like, you know, indie rock music was not something that I knew much about and that's what they were playing. Um, and uh, I liked it cause it was loud and aggressive and fun. Um, so it just was, yeah, instant click. And then it just went from there. Yeah. Super crawl is like an interesting thing because it was a shift in our business. We had, you know, we have always run a label. Um, but at that point in time, we had all, and we had always been involved in the live business. Like we had rented a lot of rooms and done a lot of things in town locally, thrown our own shows, always did anniversary shows, Christmas shows, supported our artists when they were doing their own shows and helped them promote them. So we had an understanding of what live music was all about. And of course, you know, we'd been on tour, like played hundreds and hundreds of shows. Our bands have done that. We'd seen what it's, you know, we've learned the ropes, how to settle a show, how to deal with merch, how to do all those sort of types of things appropriately and properly and be fair. And uh, we had actually just in the process of selling our distribution company. So we ran a distribution company for 10 years and we had just sold it to uh, another company to take it over. And we were transitioning it. And we knew when we were selling it that we were going to have to have another line of business that was would complement our record company um so live seemed like an obvious thing so we decided to start like looking at how we could how we could evolve this live business and basically as part of that um i was on a business trip in new york and and this is total total fluky coincidence but uh, i was visiting labels that we were working with and management companies and some venues and I decided to stay for the weekend because it's Manhattan and it's amazing. So I'm like, I'm here and I would go there regularly. And that was kind of a place I love to do business in because I just love that city. It's so dense and amazing and huge and eclectic and diverse. So I stayed for the weekend, just kind of tool around. And um, I was 
you know, having a walk, uh, me and my wife, she came down for the weekend to join me and we were walking and we were there, you know, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, we were leaving Sunday night and Sunday afternoon, we got up, had coffee, whatever, got up, had breakfast, coffee, went for a walk, just walking. And then we ran into this street festival and I was like, whoa, cool. Like we we're in Soho and I was like, oh, this is sweet. Let's, and we started walking it and I'm like, this is crazy. It's huge. Right. All of a sudden we were like, I was like, it kind of like a light bulb went off in my head. I'm like, this is so amazing. I said, let's walk to one end and then all the way to the other to see all the different things and what this thing was all about. So we walked the whole thing and I was just like blown away that they could do this type of thing in like the busiest city in the entire world, probably next to maybe Tokyo. And uh, yeah, flew home and like, you know, more light bulbs were going off in my head. And I'm like, if they can do that in Manhattan, like, why can't we close a block on downtown Hamilton, right? So what was going on was there was this synergy, Art Crawl had started, it had been going for probably about a year and a half, maybe two years, and it was totally grassroots. I knew everybody involved in it because we were really heavily involved in the community because we owned property down there. And so when we were friends with all these people, we had all kind of like, you know, sort of looked at when we were buying buildings, bringing them back to life because it was really a dump. Um, down there, like James Street has had its moments, uh, obviously huge moments over the over the span of Hamilton's history. But this was a pretty low moment, I'd have to say, maybe the lowest moment uh, in Hamilton's history. It was just, you know, lots of boarded up shops, abandoned shops. Times had changed. People that used to live above their own stores on James Street had moved to the suburbs and, and then kept running their stores or maybe leased their stores and buildings weren't kept up and blah, blah, blah. So all those types of things. Our crawl popped up and was this like cool, you know, grassroots community run, no organizational lead drawing maybe a couple hundred people. And it was a thing where there's like four or five like local cool art galleries, some really cool shops. And they were like synergizing with their, like their collective, audiences right so it's like hey i'm doing an opening instead of us doing an opening this weekend and you doing one next weekend let's do them on the same weekend because people only come for an hour or two anyway so they'll come to mine then they'll go to yours then they'll go to yours they'll pop in a store maybe they'll grab something to eat it helps everybody really smart like not my brainchild brilliant thinking as far as like you know bringing people together so super crawl basically was something that I was like, man, if we brought some really cool local musicians down here, maybe some non-locals, just like put a show on, on the street, bet you we could draw a lot more people down here. And then those people will also go to all the galleries, all the restaurants, all the shops, and then we'll just have more and maybe more people. So I kind of grabbed the brain trust of James Street North and sat him around a the table. Uh, there's 15 to 20 of us. And I said this idea and I was like, this is the idea. And it, it was like, you know, basically like, uh, what do you think? And everybody was like, that's really cool. Uh, there's no way the city's going to let you close James Street North. And I'm like, fucking right they will. If I tell them that we're going to close it, we'll close it. I know I will be able to find some people inside the city who are going to think this is a cool idea. Because there had been things happening downtown before, but nobody had closed a major artery. Um, so. I thought, well, 
got to try. Right. So we had a couple more meetings with kind of came, you know, the, the funny thing was like really close together. These meetings too, it was like, um, didn't have a name. And, uh, I, you know, we were sitting around brainstorming and, you know, all kind as you do and terrible names were coming up and, you know, I had lots of terrible names. I can't, I can't remember what they were probably have notes on some of them, but, uh, I just said, it's gotta be like, you know, there's art crawl, but it's gotta be like really great, like super. And I'm like, oh, well, how about super crawl? And it just like, I don't know, it just like clicked. It was one of those things. Everybody was kind of like, yeah, that could be cool. And I'm like, it's a little bit, you know, presumptuous of you to, you know, come up with a name that's like, but, you know, I've always been a, th- a person that's like, you know, if you say it and then you follow up with it and do it, then sometimes these things can become reality, right? So that was the, you know, basically the the crux of it. And like within eight weeks, we had not a lot of time because we we're, you know, it was the, at this point, it was like the beginning of the summer and there's like, oh my God, what art crawl could we like, you know, add this to? Um, and uh, yeah, we decided that October was, we did, had a, just enough time to pull off the October one. So we were like, hmm, we don't know what the weather will be like, but it's always a roll of the dice anyway. So I quickly like got together to book some bands um, and uh, we put money behind it. It was mostly our company that like invested in it. It cost about $30,000 to run the first Supercrawl. And it was a total experiment. No, like we had no grand expectations other than we should be able to draw some more people to our crawl. So that was like, that was our goal, like goal. That's it. Execute it without anybody getting, you know, hurt, close the street successfully, get a stage up and provide some entertainment and see what happens. So uh, long story short, it ended up being, you know, close to 3000 people. It rained, it was cold. Um, You know, we rallied our respective communities. Like I basically pulled out every single person I knew from Westdale. It's like, you gotta come and like support this thing. Cause like, and a lot of them had already been art crawl supporters, Hamilton supporters in general, wanting to see something, some change downtown, because we all know, knew that like Hamilton downtown had potential. And uh, yeah, it was like, you know, when it was over, we were like, Oh my God, that was a huge success. Even though it was like really scary in the rain, it was kind of cold and crappy. Uh, But, you know, getting about 3000 people, it was like about 10 or 15 times more than would come to a normal art crawl. So we were like, afterward, we were like, man, that was a huge success. Um, but it cost us a lot of money. I wonder how, how could we monetize it? And then we just parked it for a long time. We're like, okay, shoot, got that done. Cool. Maybe, maybe we'll do it again. I don't know. Let's see. And then it kind of percolated and percolated. And we were like, yeah, this is something that we could probably build upon. And then it just elevated from there. Every year we did it, it got bigger and bigger. We invested more money the second year, uh, it was about a hundred thousand dollars. We got some local sponsors. Um, the city contributed a little bit of money. We put in more money. So for the first few years, we were really um, bankrolling the thing. And then, you know, then it dawned on us, we have to change it to, you know, a not-for-profit um, set up a contract between, you know, Sonic Onion to run it and, and the not-for-profit. So we evolved through the, all that process. And then every year as we were evolving, we were like, okay, we can really like, we can blow this thing up. It's got like, people are so engaged and they're looking forward to it now. Uh, and then it was just a matter of like having, having to manage the growth. 
Hamilton from a music perspective has always been rich and sometimes it's in the spotlight and sometimes it's not, but I would say the richness of the, the artistry that's coming out of the city is always, whether it's spotlighted or not at a high level, we produce our more than our fair share of incredible musicians. And I think a lot of it has to do with, you know, where we're positioned, the affordability of Hamilton, the grittiness of Hamilton, the fact that, you know, we're, we're not as uh, blue collar a town as we used to be, but I think blue collar towns are the towns that produce the best, you know what I mean? Like the best musicians, they're not necessarily always coming out of the biggest centers, right? Like great, of course, great musicians come out of the big centers, but you know, you know, Springsteen and New Jersey, it's like always like people coming out of these, like, you know, the suburbs of like some, or the shadows of the big city, uh, where, you know, in times it's just, um, it just, uh, it presents, I think artists with better stories, you know what I mean? So, which in turn creates better music and, and not just music, but other genres as well, better visual art, better theater. It's just the stories that come out of real living, um, you know, and even at on some level impoverished living, hard upbringings, um, it, uh, it makes for better music. And, you know, I'll always stand behind that. Like you can, and you can hear it in the music. You can hear, I can anyway, I can hear privilege. When I listen to music in any genre, I can tell, you can tell when that person's come from a silver spoon or come from a rusted spoon. It's too, it just has a different vibe to it. You know what I mean? Um, more energy and, you know, more, um, more reality in my opinion. So I think that's like a big reason why I think Hamilton is like that. And another, you know, the, the side reason I think too, is that Hamilton is a big city, but it's a small town at the same time. And I feel like I've always felt this from the beginning, our community uh, on all levels is much more connected than it is in like bigger centers. Hamilton just has this way of like pulling people together and like, you know, there's, there's fractions, obviously there's always like, you know, there's always going to be outliers and some fractions of like, you know, uh, people working together and stuff like you can't work together with everybody, but I feel like we're a very support supportive community. I'll always support as much as I possibly can to try to raise someone up um, rather than push them down. So that doesn't happen. Like, I feel like that pushing down of talent in Hamilton is just not a thing. People would much rather help one another than to push one another down. And, and that's not unusual to other cities as well. But I just think in Hamilton, somehow, uh, there's more mentors, the people that have had success are really give back and, and help people that on, are on their way up. And there's, you know, the ego, there's always ego, but the ego is just, you know, sometimes it's parked and, you know, you park that ego because in a lot of cases, and people realize this, there's lots of talent, but there's also like the luck and opportunity, right? And so sometimes you get that luck and opportunity and sometimes you don't, but if the, the feeling that you get from being able to help somebody give them that luck and opportunity, like feels pretty good. So, and I feel like that happens at the highest levels in Hamilton. We're really hoping to get back to reality and 
have live shows again, you know, and we've positioned ourselves moving forward to be, I feel like in a really good spot when things open back up again, but it is tremendously hard right now sitting on really, you know, one venue that's been closed for a year and three quarters now, Mills Hardware is just closed. And um, that was a challenging venue to run in the first place at 150 capacity. It's pretty hard to, it's just hard at that number to like really make numbers work financially, but we had opportunities. We had rented, you know, rehearsal spaces to bands and there's still some bands in the basement that are rehearsing there, which is great. Um, given that opportunity, we had a couple other small office spaces that were under our lease. So we subleased those out to some arts groups. So we're always happy to be able to like, you know, contribute back to the community in that way. Uh, our new venue, Bridgeworks, we've been running 50 capacity shows now for the last month. And prior to that, we were running live stream events for the last year out of here. And we've run quite a few, um, I think 40 or 50 now in total. And it's really satisfying to be able to actually produce something, but it's also very unsatisfying to not have audience in the room. So, you know, it's like, a, uh, it's a funny feeling, but it's still great that we're able to do stuff and, and we're kind of pushing the envelope. Like we're right from the start. It's like, well, we're not going to sit around and wait for this thing to end. We're going to see when the rules change and then we'll activate quickly and do what we can within the rules that are there. And then, you know, it has been frustrating to get started and then shut down and then get started and shut down and moving shows. Like we've moved some, I've moved more shows than I, I think uh, in the entire like existence of my life, never again would this many shows have to ever move, um, hopefully ever, ever again. So that's really been quite challenging, but like, you know, we're sort of looking, positioning ourselves to come back hard in the live side, um, get some more music out to people. Uh, we've been releasing music the whole time, but you know, it's, there's been, we've been holding on to releases as well, because it's like, well, is this thing going to be over? Will the bands be able to support the records by touring, ramping up our management side? Uh, and, you know, really trying to support the acts while they're in a weird place and can't earn the same kind of income that they could normally earn. So we've been trying to help where we can. And uh, yeah, I mean, I'm just excited. I'm excited for the future. I'm excited to be able to, you know, get back to regular things and having, you know, two venues, 150 and one 500 capacity, like it really fits into all the things that we, that we do, um, you know, pulling together a, a different type of super crawl event, but putting something on outside is really exciting. Uh, moving into this fall, uh, working with the Tiger Cats and the CFL on the Grey Cup uh, with some pregame programming and production at the stadium and uh, helping with some of the team parties and some of the activations that the CFL are bringing to town uh, and doing a Gore Park activation with the Grey Cup. We're going to be doing a small like Grey Cup Festival activation in December. It's going to be cold, but people will come. Um, so like all those things are exciting because those are all this year. Uh, and then into next year, who knows? You know, I have like some really grand plans in my mind that we will like ease into, like nothing that we're going to explode onto the scene with. But we always tend to uh, be very methodical about our approach to um, increasing our business. So, um, yeah, I've got some interesting ideas and concepts, uh, working with some promoters outside of Hamilton and like collaborating a lot and talking to some people out West about, um, there's a festival called Winteruption that's in four cities on the West coast. And I would like to be the one that brings that, uh, event to Ontario. 
uh, in the east. So talking to people about that right now. So that's something that would be new and interesting and we'll gravitate into it. Like in some cities, it's quite large, like Saskatoon, it's a huge event. And together we're gonna be a more powerful voice. And I think that uh, I'm fully uh, at this point in my career supportive of the people at my level that are doing things. And I think that if we continue to support one another, we'll be able to actually like not build the network, but just like shine a bigger light on the network that exists across the country and more local independent musicians from different towns are going to start realizing how much better they get treated when they work with like the smaller local promoters in each city. So if you can read between the lines, I don't have to mention anything else. I know where I want to see Hamilton. Um, there's obviously always a lot of roadblocks with respect to um, forward thinking growth, but we have a lot, I mean, this is a huge question, but, and I could go on for an hour on it, but there's a lot of things that I see uh, on the music side. It's not the greatest like time, like we're all kind of sitting around waiting. And I know that like we need to get moving along, but there's some great venues in town and it would be great to see that all of them flourish and, and continue and maybe some growth uh, and more venues coming. Um, I know that there's some larger groups in town that are attempting to do some big things like the Carmen's group, the whole like, you know, entertainment district. Um, and I honestly like any more like good development downtown, uh, I'm fully in favor of, I mean, even if it's 30 and 40 story towers, I mean, they're not my, <laughs> it's not the ultimate, you know, in development that I truly feel is like, you know, um, needed but when a big development like that happens it usually spurs smaller ones um i think hamilton you know in general it would be smart if it focused on mid-sized uh mid-rise sort of redevelopment projects and i think that you know with all this redevelopment there needs to be some serious thought into how we deal with the lowest uh impoverished levels of people the immigrants that are coming to town how do we do mixed-use developments that work um, they, they clearly work. They're, uh, important to the fabric of the community. I think it's really critical that communities are mixed. I think gated rich communities are the worst thing on earth. Um, and, uh, you know, we don't need that kind of nonsense in Hamilton, even if it's condominiums. Um, I think that, you know, there should be, um, there should be subsidized, uh, options, you know, in, in new development projects in Hamilton. And I think developers need to come to the table to add that into their balance sheets. Uh, you know, it's not all just about profit loss. It's about building community with each of these things that get put up. Um, there needs to be some, I think there needs to be some real thought put behind, you know, how they're doing it, why they're doing it, not just how much money are we going to make? Okay, this is viable. Let's do it. Um, so, those are the types of things I would really hope. There's a lot of forward thinking people in Hamilton that uh, would agree with me on those comments. Um, and then there's a lot of people in Hamilton that don't care. Um, I think it's really, you know, seeing what's happening downtown right now during COVID, I mean, it's really awful. There's so many people that are need homes. Um, I feel, I feel terrible uh, every, you know, and I come downtown to work every day, uh, usually six or seven days a week. And I see it every single day. Um, 
And there's something that really, really needs to be done about that. And I think that that can be built into, you know, the future of where things are going with Hamilton. I think the future is incredible. I hope that, you know, my dream would be every project that's been discussed and been put in the paper that's in the spectator and, you know, been presented to council and, and is in for, you know, building review and permit review, all these things happen. Um, and it just pushes the envelope. We need a bit more density downtown with more density comes more vibrancy becomes, you know, comes uh, hopefully more money to help people, more tax dollars to be able to filter and to help people that are in need. Um, and I think good community members are, you know, see that sort of stuff. You can't just complain about, about it. You have to, um, engage and try and help in some way. Right. So, um, and then, you know, back to the music community, I think there's still tons and tons of musicians and industry people now that are starting to move to Hamilton. Like, it's crazy. Um, it's amazing. It's what we had dreamed, you know, like, honestly, like years and years ago, like when we did start Supercrawls, like, wouldn't it be cool if this like attracted people to Hamilton? And then they started to realize how amazing Hamilton was, because it was always a joke, like, you know. Uh, across the entire country, oh, Hamilton, it's like the armpit of Southern Ontario, right? It's like, the funny thing is, you people, and we've always said it, have no idea. It actually is an incredibly beautiful location. We have so much trail network and like, it, and so much beauty. You just, all you focus on are these smokestacks, which is like, you know, also vital to the community. It's important to have, you know, those, you know, thousands and thousands of jobs. But like Hamilton's like, pretty amazing place and like so there's part of me that's like oh, whatever fuck you guys if you don't see it you don't want to see it fine stay in toronto if you think toronto is better than hamilton um you gotta screw your head on because like it isn't it's like hamilton rules it's the best of everything small big you know good communities lots of things to do great cycling great waterfront we haven't destroyed our waterfront with massive towers on it we don't intend to so I think Hamilton has like, um, it has every something for everybody. So, and, and that's definitely filtering through the culture community, not just music, but other uh, components of it. They're, they're seeing it finally and being like, huh, let's, let's, let's go live there. It's cheaper and our kids can have a better, you know, we do have kids. If people have kids, um, they can have a better, uh, you know, upbringing and way of life here. So anyway, Hamilton rules, go Hamilton. Thanks for listening. Make sure you're subscribed so you never miss an episode. And please consider rating and reviewing as it helps others to find the show. For more information or to listen to past episodes, go to povhamilton.com.